Dempsey, one of the stars of the Confederations Cup. Testing Green again, oh, what an error! What an awful moment for Rob Green and for England! Presented Clint Dempsey with an American equaliser! Hey, this is going to be our recap of the last time we played England at the World Cup in 2010. A 1-1 draw that the New York Post famously called our biggest win since Bunker Hill. It was in Rustenburg, which is northwest of Johannesburg and means resting town. The field had a track around it and held 42,000 people. With that trivia out of the way, let me say I've got Vince, Waki, and Greg here. How are you guys doing? Excited. Yeah. I'm also good. I'm good. I'm excited and good. Uh, I'm also good. This is uh, this game was um, you know going back into the into the portal and watching it uh, was like a kind of a downer. I don't know how you guys felt. We'll get into it. I'm sure, but I am very much hoping that the uh, that part two of this in about a month uh, looks a lot better. Really? So hey. that's just I'm just tipping my I'm tipping my hand a little bit here on what I thought of this soccer. Yo, Greg, man, I'm I'm happy you said it because because I was on the <laughs> uh, so I was on the Discord like last week and I saw Bell saying like uh, we played pretty well and so I was like okay you know you know I'm, I'm excited to watch the game and then I watched the game I'm like did did we like I mean we we were okay we weren't terrible but I mean pretty well is is uh that's that's some embellishment i ain't gonna lie to you though <laughs> okay so I we're think, gonna have a little tension think, yeah, we'll have a little tension re- yeah on rewatch i definitely don't think that like uh this holds up in sort of the romanticized quality of performance way um that it, that a lot of us sort of hold it in our mind from when we saw it happen live in 2010 it wasn't quite as moving this time <laughs> didn't really i wouldn't even say i mean this podcast is gonna be fun i wouldn't say watching it was a whole lot of fun <laughs> First time, man. I disagree with. I disagree with all three of you on this. I thought, I I was definitely not moved watching it in real time. It looked like a kind of a lucky draw. Watching it just last week, I thought, man, we you know we kind of deserved a draw in this game. You were less moved. (laughs) While the I was more moved. I was more moved on rewatch than on than watching it live. Yes. Huh. All right, well, let's all let's all take ourselves back to where we were then, 2010, as as we've been doing in these recaps. Yeah, I, I was uh, at I was at the Royal Mile in Des Moines, Iowa. I, I'm all pretty right. Sure. What the hell is that? It's a bar. <laughs> it's a soccer bar. It's a tiny little uh, tiny oh, little okay. bowling alley bar that uh, loves a soccer game. Nice, nice. I was, in, a, I was in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And doing, I, what? doing what? Doing what? I was I was working on a congressional campaign. <laughs> what? So I was like in a campaign oh, office and we had a TV in it. It was crystal ball for Congress. The CIA bona fides get thick. <laughs> bro, bro, do do you see it? Deep deep state walkie. Well, we didn't win. So Well, that's all part yeah. of the plan, right? Right. It was a perfect front. It was a perfect front. The shadow candidate. Yeah. Uh, I was in San Diego. My my sister was uh, my sister was graduating grad school that weekend, so we were in San Diego. We went to a, a little uh, like a, even farther south for the Mexico opener against South Africa. Uh, so we got to watch the Mexico game in a in a like giant warehouse full of Mexican fans, which was awesome. Um, and then we're st- was still there when the U.S. played, uh, 
and watch that in just a big, a giant sort of sports bar scene um, with a ton of people chanting USA, etc. So, so Greg, you were you were with your people, huh? Yeah, yeah, and, it, was, and a, it was really cool. And a, and a bar full of Mexican fans. <laughs> it was great. Yes, it was, and it was awesome. Okay. I was definitely still cheering for Mexico in that game, um, <laughs> and then got to turn around and go and do the U.S. side of it. Uh, of what is it? A day later, two days later. Wasn't this like a? Wasn't it a pretty big summer for Four Loco? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or did it make uh, a comeback or something? I just remember it being kind of a Four Loco summer. Uh, um. So I wasn't really drinking then. Well, yeah, yeah, I wasn't really drinking then. But I was introduced to Four Loco like fall 2010 when I started college. Okay. So yeah, yeah the comeback was definitely in full force. That that's my memory of the year. As far as music in 2010, for me personally, um, uh, going going through the Billboard uh, Hot 100 singles of 2010, you'll notice there's a lot of Lady Gaga on here. Does Alejandro make it? Uh, I'm pretty sure it does. I'm pretty I, sure it, it, it's, it's kind of down there, but it's stuck it, in my mind because Al, uh, Ali Badoya was like right on the fringe of making that roster and he missed <laughs> out. And I, I like kept it like every time I'd hear see his name in the you know the articles predicting the roster, I would read his name in Lady Gaga's voice. Alejandro, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was a big big Lady Gaga fan uh, for sure. I've always been you know big into pop music, and Lady Gaga was definitely. Be, being played heavily um other than that you know you you know as a as a high school kid yeah you're, you're you're venturing out from the radio whole high school really was big on gucci man probably the pioneer of modern trap music anyway i'm not gonna get too deep in it but <laughs> but any any rap music that you've heard coming out of atlanta in the past 10 years uh gucci was the was the forefather of all this so very important figure in, in rap music history. Um, well, that's perfect then, because this, I feel like, was uh, towards the end of the, the Outcast era. So since I'm doing my uh, Outcast check-ins on all these, this was right. right before the World Cup. And this is also still when, like, maybe it's still happening, but tracks would always get, like, leaked uh, from oh, albums. Yes. And, like, so, oh, yes. Uh, and this was, this was in my, I'm, I'm going to confess here, this was in my heyday of, like, pirating uh, all media you know movies tv songs uh and so big boy had his solo album like a month or, or it started getting leaked a few months before the world cup uh sir lucius Leftfoot, which i think is an underrated uh classic album so i've got so it's nice maybe this was big boy like passing the torch then uh in the atlanta scene basically basically taking over you know uh, i was a big ludicrous guy as well so you know luda outcast you know they it was yeah, the the generation was kind of shifting, and also um, a, a big deal. You you all probably just know him as like you know a, a guy that makes like radio rap, but but Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa, um, his underground days, mixtape days, blah blah blah. They're like legendary for people that are like in my uh, of my vintage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you were in high school around 2008 to maybe 2014. Wiz Khalifa had a big role in your life. Huge role in your life. Um, you know. If, if you actually listen to his music, you know what he's about. Uh, mostly, you know, smoking a lot of weed. And um, he had a big influence on my generation. I'll just leave it at that. Right, I'm excited to see which tracks Bells pulls from. Uh, to throw on the <laughs> interludes here. Did Sir, did Sir Lucius left foot with, with the National. <laughs> 
Did Sir, Le- Sir Lucia's left foot come out before the World Cup? I think year? it was. I think it was officially released like during the World Cup. But by the time it was released, everyone already had all of the like every single single on it was already, uh, yeah, widely circulated and playing on your on your various CD players. It's not. Oh, yeah, none, uh, none of those songs is in the top 100. Uh, I'm surprised that you know Rihanna's "Only Girl in the World" is a song that I remember a lot from then. It's only 47 on go? the list. Want you to make me feel. Okay, got you. Kesha's TikTok was number one, which is like, okay. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Kesha fan as well. I actually know one of my coworkers has like a Kesha tattoo on, on his body. What, what is a Kesha tattoo? <laughs> like the name Kesha or is it a picture? I, I, I think it's her like, I think it's her like logo or something. It's like a lightning bolt or something, something like that. She has a, she has a okay. symbol. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something like that. That's cooler than what I was imagining. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. <laughs> or where were you at on the, on the music front, Waki? Well, I, I remember that this was a pretty big time for Mumford and Sons. They were very popular. That, and, they did exist, didn't they? Yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's the band that I associate most strongly with the summer of 2010 is, is Mumford and Sons. I, I, also, I Lil remember. Wayne was very... Mm, yeah, yeah, very big, for sure. That's the other one. I remember Mumford and Sons dropping something in like 2011, 2012. I don't know, man. Maybe this one was the one that was building up the hype, and then the one that had the one song, the "I Will Wait for You." Is that that? Is that a song? Yes, I will. Uh, yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> that nailed it. That's it. <laughs> I think that dropped in like 2011, 12 or something, and I remember. People listen to that in college or whatever, but okay. Bells, yeah. what were you listening to in 2010? I, I did listen. I, I was listening to that. So we just left foot a lot. Um, but I can't really remember like my, all of my playlist at the time. Party in the USA. Nice. I've had, some, I've had some good moments with that song. Yeah. It came out after the World Cup. August, okay. But okay. Yeah, because I feel like if that had come out before the World Cup, that would have been everybody's World Cup anthem. I mean, you, it would have been inescapably linked uh, if that had come out before the actual U.S. played in the World Cup. Yeah, Greg, I don't know if you remember this, but we were on a bus. Yeah, could have We were on a bus a lot. out to the USA-Jamaica game. Yeah, Children's Mercy Park. And uh, we were uh, singing that song at the top of our lungs on the way out there. Yeah, that was... I don't even remember if it was qualifying or if it was 2011. Was that the 2011 Gold Cup, right? No, that was the 2013 qualifier. We had already okay. qualified, but Jamaica, we oh. we were basically there to dead rubber to celebrate Jamaica home. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. 2010, man. Great year. <laughs> Barack Obama was in his second year as president. I won't get in too much into current events. That never seems to go well when I do that. <laughs> Spain, Spain were in the midst of, of having the world game on in an absolute chokehold. They'd won the, they'd won the 2008 Euros uh, and had, uh, up until the uh, 2009 Confederations Cup final, won like, you know, 30 to 45 straight matches. Um, and then after they lost to us, they went on to continue winning all of those matches. So Spain were, it was Spain. This was a, this was a Spain victory lap. They turned the World Cup into the same thing. 
living. Yeah, so what's the hold up? Way to bring a bottle, get them easy waters rolled up. Self-made G, did everything on my own, bruh. In my early 20s, what money is wide as Oprah? Back another bottle, get the weed, bro. The broadcast on footballia.net, which is, I think, supposed to be said like nostalgia, footballia.net, is an ITV broadcast, an English broadcast. So uh, they're nattering on about how England has a real chance to win it all this time at the beginning of the broadcast. And seeing, seeing the teams lined up in the tunnel, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a real contrast. We got Steven Gerrard, J- uh, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney. Ashley Cole on one side, uh, Emma Husky and Glenn Johnson. And they're all like these big stars and they're all, all actually bigger than the American players across from them, like Donovan and Chirundolo in particular are kind of small. So England would fall 4-1 in the round of 16 to Germany in this World Cup, thanks to a brace from 20-year-old Thomas Muller. But, uh, but, you know, they had high expectations. Right. Crucially, because they finished second to us in the group, they drew a group winner or they, you know, they landed oh. group winner Germany from another group rather than getting a slightly easier path by way of Ghana. Okay. I, re- I remember this because I was excited that we were playing Ghana. I was like, oh, yeah, we got them. <laughs> it's not Germany. Right. I, I, I just, I felt good about it. Um, and you know me, I mean, it was just pure, you know, American exceptionalism. <laughs> I, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. We, we, we did not, in fact, uh, have them. <laughs> That's how it works, though. If it's not, if it's not Germany, if it's not Brazil, Argentina, uh, we, you can do it in, in your mind, you know? Right. It's not one of the blue bloods. The field was really fast. Did you guys notice that? It's a beautiful field. Uh, I, I remember the one ball bouncing to the sky, never to ever come down. <laughs> I don't remember right. when that was, but Howard had a punt. Was that the Howard punt that bounced the Howard team and launched over Robert Green's head and goal? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Bounce. Right before the U.S. goal, <laughs> England was in all whites, U.S. and Navy kits with uh, white slashes across the jerseys. Uh, David Beckham, very handsome on the England bench, perhaps peak. Beckham in terms of his physical beauty, I would say. So was he hurt? He had done his Achilles, I think, playing for AC Milan on loan from Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, and I don't know if he would have made the team either way. He, I think he, he, may, he probably would have. Uh, I mean, they weren't strong. Uh, we're going to go through their lineups. They weren't particularly strong in the wide area. So uh, out of all the stars you were listing in sort of that golden generation, this particular edition of their golden generation uh, had some relatively uh, lower quality wide attackers. Is that would you put Aaron Lennon in that category? Yeah, I think I think I'm comfortable saying he's you know for sure not not one of the strongest uh, wide English players historically. Another thing I noticed, uh, sort of ancillary, is uh, how stark a contrast Bob Bradley is to Fabio Capello. He looks like uh, Bradley looks like he's a high school gym teacher. And Capella looks like yeah. the CEO of a fashion house in Milan. Yeah, I, I would say his, he, he, his fashion is a little more like a broker convention, but like the best person, <laughs> like the best dressed person at the convention. You like talking actually about Capello kind or of, Bradley? Capello. Capello. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bradley would be at a different sort of... <laughs> yeah, he would, yeah, yeah, he'd be at United Soccer Coaches convention. Right. Yeah, I think you're selling Bradley a little short. I don't see high school gym teacher. I see him as like the the youth 
soccer parent who's actually like the most stylishly track suited out of all the youth soccer parents on the sideline. Man, I just can't put stylish anywhere near him. <laughs> it's, well, the, the, the reason is the fashion of the time was to have slightly wider sweatpants. Those don't look good anymore. So you look at, we look uh, back at it like, no, that's not. That's a great that point. doesn't look good at all. That is but that a was great just, point. He was hamstrung by pants of 2010. Yeah, I Eric actually don't him. know if that's, maybe there were skinny pants back then. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, no, they we, weren't. They weren't. And it was, we were still a ways off from the, the pants that ended at the knee uh, for soccer players that were a little, a little tighter fitting. So, no, it was, it was still very much the baggy look. I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up, Waki. Because, yeah, the, the 2010s style, well, the, the aughts. Those are called the aughts, right? The, <laughs> yeah. the, the first and years. His, his fashion was definitely a carryover from, from the aughts. I'll allow he was probably a few years behind. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. He he was he was right in in lockstep, man. Because you know, very, very, very large clothes at that point in time. <laughs> I remember that for sure. Like, like we wore in high school, we had to wear uniforms, and so that included wearing like khaki navy pants, like dicky pants, and you had to make sure that your that your dickies were as as big as possible. Just yeah. absolutely huge. You gotta get the double knee. So that they're extremely extra baggy. When you when you walk, the bottom of one pant leg needed to be brushing up against the bottom of the opposite pant leg for sure. Yes. Oh, also, uh, C- Capello, he he just looked to me like his assistant coaches just all called him boss. <laughs> yeah, I thought he looked good. Um, yeah, he did. Three piece, without suit, a three piece kind of tan suit, uh, perfect hair, glasses. All right. Um, we already mentioned the Vuvuzelas. Everybody will remen- remember them. They were incessant in this game, too. Uh, so, the USA in a 4-4-2, right? Right, Greg? 4-4-2? Yeah, this was the, the, both teams and a lot of teams still. This was sort of the, the dying embers of the, of the 4-4-2 as, as so many of us sort of grew up as it was the staple formation. Uh, no nonsense. Uh, easy, easy to teach, you know, implement quickly. 4-4-2. Tim Howard in goal, Steve Chirundolo at right back, Oguchi Onyewu at right center back, Jay Demerit at left center back. Well, actually, were they? Did I have that special? I think they flipped. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So flip them around. Then Carlos Bocanegra, usually a center back playing left back. Uh, And then Michael Bradley and Ricardo Clark in uh, essentially a double pivot, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, sort of just the two of them by themselves. So I don't even know if you double pivot didn't really get used that much in parlance at the time because it was those were just the only two center mids. Everyone just kind of had two center mids, so you didn't have yeah. to call it a double pivot yet. <laughs> there was no attacking mid ahead of them for most teams. Right. Who and would go into Landon Donovan? And- I guess I was going to ask a tactical question. I'll wait until we start talking about the game. Okay. Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey as the wide midfielders, and then Josie Altidore and Robbie Finley as the two strikers. Can I throw out one historic note here? I know Bells, you're just like, we got to get moving here, team. Uh, the, the Carlos Bocanegra is left back thing, right? Like that was a big deal. And he didn't play at the whole World Cup. Uh, he's playing there because we did not have a left back. Uh, so this probably sounds familiar to, to people um, who came up before the Jedi Robinson days. So this was a, a you know, some kind of round peg in a square hole, square peg in a round hole solution. Um, and it didn't even last the whole tournament. Eventually, we benched Gooch, who was coming back from injury and not hadn't been playing that much. 
um, and Boca went back to center back. And the player who took the most heat through all of qualifying in this cycle, Jonathan Bornstein, came in as a left back. And I'm doing this whole thing because we have so many players we're worried about going into Qatar, right, that could totally screw things up for us. Sometimes a weak player can just skate through a tournament and not have it, not have it be a, like a cat- catastrophe. So Bornstein came in, pl- started two matches in this World Cup, and had a very uneventful 210 minutes uh, against Algeria and Ghana. And so I'm just pointing that out to say it's possible that whoever you're super worried about screwing up in Qatar in 2022, it's possible they can get through a few games unscathed. That's my that's my well, moment of optimism for for the uh, the present day. Well, I'm not sure why Gooch got benched because he was very. I thought he was very good in this game against England, and I was going to mention that later that he um, he'd been out with an Achilles rupture from September of the previous year until the tune-up friendlies just before the World Cup. Didn't play at all for club or country, but he did he did play in the in the tune-up friendlies. Started one of them, I think, and then played in the other two. And he, and then he was fantastic against England, which I may be instructive in its own way about, you know, say Chris Richards coming back or something like that. If you want to put a hopeful spin on it. Hmm. Interesting. I'll just, I'll just go on the record now and, and, and push back a little bit and say, I didn't think Gooch was all that great against England. And I feel like I'm going to, going to incur some wrath here. Well, certainly no wrath from me. I won't have any wrath for you either. All right, I appreciate that. All right, well, but I'll get I'll get into that more. I'm sure as we get into the events. Why didn't we play Demarcus Beasley at left back at this point? Was this was that not really a thing yet? He, he we had tried him a couple of times, and he had a couple of shockers. Uh, most notably uh, against Brazil uh, in the Confederations Cup in 2009 in the group stage. Uh, and we were getting we were getting destroyed in the first two games of that Confederations Cup. Italy beat us three zero four one something like that, and then Brazil thumped us as well three one three zero. I think were the two scores there. Uh, and so we were we were we were like searching for solutions, um, and that was that was Beasley's like sort of almost like the end of the line for him in Bob Bradley's setup. I know he got minutes sparingly here and there, but that was the end of him being a key player for Bob Bradley, as I remember it. Interesting. I just want to mention on, on Robbie Finley that he grew up in Phoenix. He's a player that kind of, you know, flies under the radar a little bit in the national team discussion, probably with good reason. I mean, he's not, he's not a fantastic soccer player or anything, but he grew up in Phoenix and was cousins with Mike Bibby. Just a little fun fact. Very interesting. Mike Bibby was my favorite, my first favorite basketball player. Really? Did because- you think he was white? No, I don't. I don't. I don't remember. I, I guess, but I, I, I really liked the Arizona Wildcats. And they were in. They went. To, anyway, wasn't his dad the coach of the? Yeah, and his dad was the coach. I think they had USC, a acrimonious relationship, but that's a whole nother. That's right. I England met met someone who started. A, I, met, I was. I met someone who started a business with. Started a business making misshapen basketballs. To practice your dribbling. I think it was Mike Fibby's dad. I love it. You didn't have to misshape them. You can put things in the middle of them. Is that what it was? Goalkeepers use those. If you throw them on the ground, they don't bounce true. It might have been that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Either I way. I got fantastic. the story as misshapen balls. <laughs> anyway. Well, 
England was, of course, also in a 4-4-2. Robert Green in goal, famously. Uh, the back line was Glenn Johnson, John Terry, Ledley King, and Ashley Cole. And then Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard in the midfield. Aaron Lennon and James Milner were the wide midfielders. Uh, Lennon on the right, Milner on the left. And then the two strikers were Wayne Rooney and Emil Heskey. Uh, let me just throw in here because it's 2010. Uh, John Terry had recently been stripped of England's captaincy for uh, dallying in a, in a way that, again, is familiar to U.S. fans after the uh, after the Harks Winalda fiasco. Um, he'd been oh. dallying with one of his Chelsea and England teammates, uh, significant others. Who, who was the teammate again? Wayne Bridge who becomes a footnote because he wasn't as good at soccer at John Terry as John Terry. And so <laughs> Chelsea just moved him along rather than, uh, you know, s- sort of stand up for him. I, and I'm not even saying that's the right or wrong play. Uh, just that it was, it was definitely something that happened in 2010. Well, the heart is lo- a lonely hunter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. The chronology. Kind of a choppy, mostly even contest through three minutes. The U.S., I thought, looked up for it. And then England scores a goal in the fourth minute. It's basically the first substantive episode of the game. And I'm going to say it was just a little unlucky for the U.S. and particularly for Ricardo Clark. Here is the clip. Not only the second day of this 2010 FIFA World Cup. Better than uh, hanging around and waiting a turn for three or four days. The chance here for England. Score! The goal from Steven Gerrard is just the boost England required. You could tell from the broadcaster that he wasn't uh, expecting anything to happen because it was just like a loose... So I'll just describe it. Glenn Johnson throws it in to Frank Lampard from the right. He takes a loose touch about 30 yards from goal. And as Bradley closes on him, Lampard plays a loose pass to Rooney right above the box that misses misses Rooney. So the miss pass kind of causes everyone to pause Landon Donovan and, and Gooch both had been checking with Rooney. Either could have challenged for the ball, but they didn't. Uh, I, I'm not really blaming them for that. It was just kind of a weird moment. And it trickled through to ML Heskey, who immediately recognized he and, he and um, Gerard were the first to recognize the moment. Uh, Gerard starts making a run off of, Lecar- off of Clark's shoulder. Heskey plays a clever first-time pass to Gerard, who alertly... Uh, Takes, his, takes a touch with his right foot, and then um, in that brief moment where it looked like anybody could, could have recovered the pass, Clark hesitated, and that was the difference. Gerard takes the pass in stride and then uh, slots it outside of the boot to beat the onrush, onrushing Tim Howard, and Clark also sliding in from his right beats Clark. I thought it was a, quite a well-taken goal, um, the quick stab with the outside of his boot. 1-0 England. Was it was Clark to blame on this? I was trying to figure out how to, how exactly where to assign all the blame. <laughs> I just know whatever happened, you don't want that. It kind of went right down the middle. Kind of got all stretched out, and there was a big opening. So this is this is like such a weird time capsule of the four four two. Because when we think of the four four two now, in my opinion, it's like uh, it's this very resolute, usually kind of like passive, or it can be like this very passive defense where you get your two banks of four and you just stay organized keep the defense in front of you or keep the attack in front of you. Don't let them in behind. But back, like there were different ways of playing it, of course, and there still are, but the U S played it in kind of like a very aggressive posture. Like Michael Bradley doesn't just sit back in these days. He kind of grew into that, but 
but he he's going to go flying out to challenge things. And he went out to f- flying out of the four to go challenge Lampard. And when, then what you have is just this uh, full rotational domino effect where we failed to rotate. So Rico Clark is uh, is still out by the sideline by Glenn Johnson. So he's not in the in the central play. You know, we hammer on pitch control all the time. The the pitch we are controlling is not the most dangerous pitch. We make choices by like four players uh, that are just all suboptimal. So Bradley goes flying out. That can be fine if everyone else pinches in behind to protect the central space. Rico isn't doing that. Carlos Bocanegra, the left back, isn't doing that. He's still way out by the uh, right sideline where the where the ball was thrown in. And then what you have is this ball trickles past uh, Lampard as he kind of gets the pass towards Rooney. Oguchi Onyewu abandons his spot in the 4-4-2 to rush up in between the lines to track Wayne Rooney. So now you have a huge gap between Demerit and Bocanegra, the left back. Uh, Demerit's the right center back, Bocanegra, the left back. that no one's filling other than Steven Gerrard, who's like, hey, look at this giant gap. Uh, I can control all of this pitch. And he does. Heskey just gets the ball anywhere close. And both Bocanegra and Clark are too late to get back. Gooch nowhere in the picture. So if you're trying to assign blame, it's just a full team-wide organizational failure. And this hits us several times in this World Cup. Both Slovenia goals, the same kind of thing happens. They find that space between Bradley and Rico and Demerit and Gooch. And, and it's just like one of the Slovenia forwards sort of dropping back in. And we just don't know how to handle it. We're, it, it just looks like we're winging it in all of these scenarios, um, which again, very time capsule for this 4-4-2 setup. Uh, it is, it was, it was the other irony here is Bob Bradley would trot this out as like the stable formation to start these games and try to just like kill the, kill the first 60 minutes of the game in this resolute, this resolute sort of formation. And then in the second half, you would bring on Benny Fellhaber, take off a forward, move Clint Dempsey higher and like play almost like a four, three, three. Um, but, but even in our four, four, two, we were just really naive and um, not particularly airtight. That's a oh. long. That's a long bit on this goal in the in how to apportion blame. But that's kind of where I, I think you talking. answered that very. First of all, very thoroughly <laughs> and and very well. So I pre- appreciate you taking the time. Hey, hey, you know what, Greg? I'm I'm happy you said this because you know there's a lot of you know the narrative going around now is you know why doesn't Greg just keep it simple? Blah blah blah. So you're telling me this simple four four two. Um, isn't isn't a slam dunk, and and it and it does have vulnerabilities, even though it is easy to teach and 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 whatnot. The way we ran it in this in this uh, World Cup, it had huge liabilities, and we see them in this game all the time. And the reason that uh, I think you know the English commentators during this game were so down on England was because England were so inefficient at exploiting them. But they were there, and when you're watching the tape, uh, like it's very easy to see where where we get pulled all over the place and we're kind of like constantly um, scrambling to try to find our assignments. And again, the Slovenia game, it's the same, the same thing in the first half uh, where Rico and Bradley, it's a, t- it's a basically a tough ask for Gooch and Demerit to constantly be able to read when to go up with a player into that space between uh, defense and midfield and when to stay home, who should go, who should stay. Um, so the way we ran it was, very aggressive with very little like uh, safety behind. It was just like, oh, we'll just let the guys behind us figure it out if, if the, the team gets between us. I, uh, I don't really have the chops to d- disagree with any of that, Greg, but I do think in this case, 
It's a little bit like the, you know, we talk about this sometimes, like a broken play in a football game where nobody knows, I don't know, nobody really knew what, how to respond to that. But Gerard and that, that, that missed pass from Lampard to Rooney, it just was kind of a weird moment. And then it, Gerard is kind of in a position to see that it's, it's heading for Heskey before anybody else does. Because I think generally people blame Clark for this goal, right? I mean, that's been the narrative. That Clark just didn't track his man, and that's I, that. I right? had never, I'd never, heard, I'd never heard that. Rico takes tons of blame for the Ghana goal, the uh, the opening goal against Ghana, um, but I'd never heard him singled out for for blame here. This was always just one like chalked up to like Bob Bradley's team start slow, which again the irony is that he'd start out with the games with that more conservative personnel group, and yet he, we still had a habit of giving up goals early in the first five to ten minutes of soccer games. But I, I hadn't heard the I hadn't heard the blame on Rico. I know he ends up being the closest man, but he's he's yeah. over defending. He's over defending uh, near the sideline when it's taken. So you know, in my in my chalkboard mind, there's no way he is ultimately uh, you know by design the guy who's responsible for the pitch in the middle of the 18 yard box closest to Tim Howard. Um. Uh, so I would just like to say that that I really like this finish. The stab. Uh, me too. It's a great yeah, stab. Yeah. It, it, it was very nice. And I feel like uh, Stevie G put his, he, he put his foot in, in a position to where, you know, his, his ankle was at risk. His, his ankle was definitely at risk. And I, I feel like it was kind of brave for him to go at it in that way. Maybe he wasn't thinking about it like that. Probably not. But I thought the, I thought the stab was very, was very sweet. It was very real, sweet. Yeah, it was a real soccer-y type goal. You know what I mean? Like I said, you got to be a like, soccer guy to score that goal. Yeah, soccer gal. Yeah, and 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 also, uh, it, it seems just based on the the commentator, uh, there was a lot of talk about Emil Heskey. Uh, I guess his goal scoring record for England and whatnot. Um, I guess he hadn't been getting it done. I don't know, but that was a nice reverse ball, and I think he I think he did a lot of a lot of decent work. He did that that you know wouldn't show up on the stat sheet. Kind of the the surprise element of the Gerard finish is a little bit like Crescenzio uh, Crescenzio uh, Somerville over the weekend. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not the same goal. I'm not going to say that. This one, this one, uh, I, I would say Gerard's was was better, quite a bit better. Yeah, I agree. It's the perfect start," said one of the British commentators, almost softly, his voice breaking slightly, and then he said, "This is going to be fun." Over the next 15 minutes, we got a few half chances and some corner kicks, but nothing too dangerous. Milner should have gotten a yellow card for a challenge in the seventh minute on Trundolo, who was having his way on the right side, and I thought would for the entire evening. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to need, need a Trundolo uh, second half comp of when he was, of when he was having his way, Bells. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like Sean Wright Phillips came in and shut that down. <laughs> Um, again, getting ahead of myself, but I feel like you could make a second half comp of the entire U.S. attacking uh, sequences, and it would be Josie Altador, and it would be that late one to Stu Holden, and that's that's what we were. Anyway, anyway, let's keep going with in chronological order. Yep. In the 19th minute, the U.S. gets a good chance after a free kick. We bit, get a bit of a scramble in front of England's box, and Finley plays it backward to 
Bradley, who taps it wide to Donovan. Donovan faces up James Milner, who was a mess and didn't even, I don't know what he was doing in this play. He's just kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, Donovan faces him up and curls a lovely ball into the box for Altidore. Altidore's header was, um, he missed. He missed the target. It was He only got glancing contact. It looked like he held back, maybe afraid of bashing his face in the back of Ledley King's head. I don't know. This he got too high for it, right? Kind of what it looked like. So, so we just had uh, Zapruder, the Ferreira miss against uh, Japan over and over, and how he couldn't quite get over it. He's, he, everyone, you know, the discussion is like, did he time it wrong or is he too short? Whatever. Altador just got way up over this one, and so then had to like try to drop his head down, and then it did kind of look like as he's dropping his head down, sees that he's about to drop his head directly into Ledley King's skull, and maybe pulls out of it a little bit. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I'd probably do the same thing. He, he did pull his shirt over his head. He pulled his sh- yeah. shirt over his head after the miss. It is really hard to intentionally put your head into someone else's head. Skull. I can imagine. It's hard to do. England came, that was a big chance though. England came right back at us. Heskey won the ensuing goal kick in the air to Rooney, who held it up and clipped Aaron Lennon in behind. In acres of space, Lennon tried to slide it across the six and Trundolo hacked it away. Lampard tried an overhead kick on the rebound, but it was right at Howard. Yeah, and, and this is just some more of that uh, Emil Heskey work that I was talking about. Like, like the, the, this header that he won was just ridiculous. Like, he took two people out and he's falling over people. People are just like, you know, he's leaving, he's leaving bodies in his wake. Just, yeah. you know, just basically moving furniture, throwing his body around. So, uh, you know, I, I respect it. And, you know, that just seemed to be the way to attack in 2010. There was just a lot of long balls. Uh, probably that chance that we just talked about for the U.S. probably came from a long ball. I don't know. It was like, it, it seemed to me that you played a long ball. If you win it, then you basically got your four that are already up attacking. And nobody else seems to join in, really. And you just see what you can do from there. In the 26th minute, Chirundolo did Milner again, and Milner fouled him. And this time got a yellow card, mostly for the earlier foul, I reckon. Uh, Donovan takes the set piece from wide, and Onyewu steers a decent effort wide of the far post. In the 28th minute, Rooney releases Heskey down our right flank. Heskey fizzes it across. Nobody on the end of it. Aaron Lennon gathers it and is defended pretty well by Bocanegra. The ensuing set piece is also defended well by Bocanegra. And then we clear it and Glenn Johnson fizzes one across, which Tim Howard gets to just before the outstretched boot of Heskey. Heskey nails Howard's forearm at near full speed. Howard rides in pain for a while and gets a long visit from the trainers. Lots of uh, fizzed balls across and desperate American interventions. In the meanwhile, um, Capello subbed off Milner for Sean Wright Phillips. Mm-hmm. In the th- so that was in the thirty-first minute. Well, you know, uh, it, yeah, man, it always bums me out when someone gets subbed out in the first half. <laughs> it's embarrassing, and 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 I guess this is a uh, this is James Milner during his Leeds days. I assume. I don't know. I think he might have been Aston Villa at the time. But yeah, it, it was real. It was funny to me when he gets that yellow card to see the ref, you know, to, to dramatically throw up the, you know, the one and, and the two. Yeah. And, yeah. and points at the location. You, you know, <laughs> I, I always like when a ref does that. 
to, you know, to pull out the yellow card. It's like, yo, you, you had a bad foul over here, had a bad foul over there. You know why you're getting it. James Milner was at Aston Villa in 2010, but also started at Man City in 2010. So I'm wondering, maybe it was right after this World Cup, based on yeah. probably not getting subbed out here, but <laughs> maybe, some, maybe he did some other good things. Yeah, that Aston Villa team was uh, just got looted by all the the bigger teams because they were they were like consistently fifth, sixth back when England had a very uh, you know separate like a very distinct big four. Um, and Aston Villa and like Everton would kind of hover around, and then Man City money came in, and that was the end of that. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Ast- Milner was Milner uh, got poached by City, and then eventually I know made his way over to I, I believe at some point played a little bit for Liverpool. Did Still grow up in Leeds. <laughs> did go. I'm seeing that he did go to Liverpool. I believe yeah. he ha- has had a run at Liverpool. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. In 33rd minute, uh, in a bit of foreshadowing, Altidore takes a speculative shot on the ground, which is picked up easily by Robert Green, the commentator on the FIFA Plus replay, who is different than the ITV commentator, um, said Green will, quote, take those all night, end quote, which oh. seemed right at the time. So I'll, I'll jump in here, too, because one thing we didn't mention about 2010 uh, was the Jabulani. And that's the, the soccer ball that was, like, revolutionary because it didn't have any seams. The outside of the ball was, like, somehow, like, heat-sealed, um, which caused all kinds of chaos for... <laughs> Funny idea. For goalkeepers, of course, and for, but, but also even for, like, service. So when, when you... This tournament, there were so many, like, horrendous services from wide. And this is an era where, like, wide service was the thing. And you, you know, expected some level of confidence here. And everyone was just smashing these crosses to nobody. Um, but also, the, the ball moved like crazy once it was off your foot. So, um, we were early in this tournament before, it, I think, we really got a sense of uh, how devastating this, these shots from distance could be. Um, so, while shots from distance generally kind of frowned on now in the modern day, or not frowned on, but, you know, like, we understand how speculative they are. In this tournament, probably the right thing to do is to just, if you got to look from within 30 yards, hit it at the goalkeeper as hard as you can and just trust the Jabulani to do the rest. Was there just some one chaotic person whose idea this was? <laughs> to just <laughs> There's no need. <laughs> more randomness into the game? I have no idea. I don't know if they just didn't know about the uh, aerodynamic effects of the Jabulani as they were designing it, um, or if they thought that this would add a, a whole new level of unpredictability to things that was desirable. Dude, it, it, it's crazy the things that like changes in a ball can do. Like, like baseball has been going through this. It's like uh, I think it's like a change in like one one like tenth of a degree or something like that in the in the depth of the seams can cause a baseball to like fly like an extra 20 30 feet or something like that and you see and you'll see like a spike in home runs and and the ball will still be within uh the specifications that mlb requires (laughs) but offense can be impacted significantly and the beauty here was, I think usually uh, whatever the World Cup ball is, they would have like a full season where the leagues could play with it. But I don't think that happened here. So it got introduced like weeks before the tournament and everyone was just like, we are playing with a beach ball. This is incredible. <laughs> no one liked it. The shooters didn't even like it, despite the, you know, the extra, uh, the wild card factor for goalkeepers. Like you just, you, it wouldn't behave the way you expected a soccer ball to behave. So anyway, shots from distance. I know that's when we get to the, the one. That one didn't even really matter because this was a bouncing ball, not a ball in flight. But 
just a note in from 2010. And and yet the team that the nation that loves the ball the most and loves precise passing the most won the World Cup. Spain. Well, because they never hit the ball in the air. They just they just hit it on the floor, yeah, fair eight enough. yards at a time. So who cares what the ball like what what the seams are made out of? Fair enough. Okay. In the in the 38th minute, we get a, some nice interchange from Dempsey and Finley to Donovan, who speculates from distance, doing the right thing, draws a bit of a crowd reaction when his shot from 25 or so flashes wide of the far post. Seemed like Green had it covered. Then Sherundolo gets a yellow for a foul on Sean Wright Phillips. So the tables have turned a little bit, I guess. Uh, and then Howard punts it all the way over the England goal on one bounce. It was uh, pretty impressive, actually. It went way over the one bounced and then went way over the goal. Um, they would start talking about the altitude of uh, Rustenburg and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in the 40th minute, we get the U.S. goal. Here it is. Well, they have a chance here. There are four forward, and this could be menacing with a good turn from Dempsey. Tries to get away from Gerard, fires it in hard alone. A desperate mistake by Robert Green, who beats the ground in despair. Clint Dempsey. It's really something to see, you know, even with all the ball discussion. It's uh, unbelievable yeah. that he would spill it that way. It was an England goal kick. Bradley meets it and side foots it forward somewhat aimlessly. Ashley Cole beats Donovan to it, but his header spills to Dempsey in that little groove of space in the middle. Dempsey dribbles forward and, you know, kind of goes back and forth, turning Gerard back and forth, buys himself the space to take a left-footed shot and hits it, bouncing at green. Um, Green misjudges the flight of the ball off the grass slightly and lets it slip around him, and it's a goal. It's uh, it's classic Dempsey on the ball, like it's ponderous. You, it, I mean, this is kind of what his reputation was: is uh, he wasn't he wasn't particularly a rhythm attacker. You know, the ball would get into him, and then he'd all just kind of stand and watch while he would try some stuff. And so he's trying mm-hmm. some stuff here. Uh, manages to create a slightly off balance, weak foot shot from distance. <laughs> so I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I actually, so I actually remember in the in San Diego in the sports bar I was watching this. I didn't even see it cross the line because I saw you know him take the shot. I saw the trajectory going right to the goalkeeper and had already like started to turn to talk to somebody about the next thing. Um, and then the place erupted and the ball was in the goal and I couldn't. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. And even seeing the replay, just didn't make sense at all. I remember laughing about how England had Joe Hart sitting on their bench, um, but but even then, as I've yeah. said before, like. You don't play Joe Hart because you, you're worried about a Robert Green howler here. I mean, that's not the, the goal that is allowed that's like, oh, that's why he, they needed Joe Hart in. A, a goal like that can happen to anybody, and you just never have that in your plans to, to pick someone to avoid that goal. I'm saying Did don't you guys think see- Max Steffen's not going to give up that goal in Qatar even if he starts. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying. I wasn't, think- I wasn't thinking that. Now I'm... Now I'm- there's always a possibility. <laughs> There's the same possibility on that one from Turner or Stefan. Is what I'm saying. There might actually be more for Horvath. I feel like he's got a couple of those. Uh, yeah. In his on his resume already. Did you guys see um, one? Did you see Frank Lampard give him the chin up? Give Green the chin up gesture. No. Yeah. Very no, English. But that was that was nice of him. It was nice of him. He looked at him. He just. He put his, he opened his palm up, put his, like moved it up and down underneath his chin a couple of times and turned around and trotted off to midfield. 
also Bob Bradley's reaction on replay is so is so fun to watch because he he's just dis full of disbelief. You can just see it on his face, and then he celebrates. Uh, let me let me play a clip. This is a little bit of a lengthy clip. We'll see how much of it I use. But uh, this is Dempsey talking about the goal with Robert Green on CBS. Um, I don't know if I talked about this like publicly or not, but um, something you know people may not really know about is I had a sister who passed away. When she was uh, when she was 16 from a brain aneurysm, but like a few years before that, I mean, probably growing up in the country or something, not having much to do, we would just talk about all kinds of different things. And one of the things we talked about is like, if we ever like had passed away, would you want us, you know, to come back, maybe write something on a mirror or whatever like that? I'm like, no, that'd be too scary. And then I just remember saying like, if it ever happened, like maybe you could help me out in the game or, or something like that. So. To me, I look at that situation because really throughout my whole career, that's the only situation that was kind of like um, divine intervention. And it was almost kind of like it was out of your hands. No, no pun intended, but there was something special there in, in terms of why that, that goal kind of went in. So um, that's just kind of how I look at it. And that's why it's kind of a difficult situation to kind of talk about. But, yeah. you know, things happen in the game. Does that make it one of the more special goals of your career? For sure it does, because it was a big moment for me. When you're a kid, that's the biggest stage to try to, that's what I dreamed about, trying to be in the World Cup and to be there playing against England, the country that I, that I was playing in as well. It just, it was just a special moment. I just think it's crazy hey, man, that for, he, for, he, go ahead. Uh, for, for him to say, uh, out of your hands, like, like for him to have the wherewithal to put the, the no pun intended right there. <laughs> It's, it's crazy. Yeah, he, he put he put that he put the no pun intended directly to Robert Green. He turned directly right. to Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the right. man, who, and it, the man who handled the ball into the goal and said, "Out of your hands." No pun intended. He also just told him that he he thought this terrible moment for Robert had been divinely inspired. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say he he basically told Robert that his sister's ghost did it. You know. Right, and right. Hopefully that brings up some peace. Yeah. Which, in my opinion, actually does make this the greatest goal in, in American soccer history. I don't, like, I don't think there's any way that anything can, can compare at that point, whether it's Wambach against Brazil or Donovan against Algeria. Like, none of those involved the supernatural. So I think we're... This is the only ghost goal that yes. we are aware of. <laughs> so it has to be yep. top. I agree. Yeah. Um, and in that, I remember watching that on uh, during Champions League coverage or whatever. And um, Green was talking, you know, he had to talk about all the things he had to do to get over it. You know, the counseling, um, how he bounced back in the match. And, and, and Jamie Carragher was there, too, which we'll, we'll, we'll get on to Jamie Carragher. But um, he, he was saying that he was really impressed with how Green uh, bounced back in the match to not necessarily let him beat him. Because, I mean, you know, we did have at least one more chance in this match that, that he did he did all right on. So, um, yeah, it was just it was a really interesting thing to see. Um, yeah, like, like I said, you know, I don't remember much pre-2018. So, the, so when, I, when I saw this on CBS, it, it, it was cool. It was cool for me. Yeah. For the record, I don't think Brad, I don't think Dempsey was was dropping that no pun intended on Robert Green in like a mean way, in a mean way. No, he yeah, wasn't yeah, at I all. Think he was of course, trying of to course. be super nice. Yeah, it's just hard to be nice in that moment. But, 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 you know, sometimes where the no pun intended is like 
not necessary. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, 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 no, Clint, not, nobody's going to blame you for saying, you know, out of your hands in the situation that you just brought it up. You're talking about your dead sister and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and divine intervention. Been, a lot of us might not have noticed the pun. Right, you know? right, right. Hey, that, that's the thing. It's like, if it's a, it, this pun is just going to fall into the, into the ether. But, but, but now it does not because you, no pun intended it. While yep. looking at the man. Uh, for, for what it's worth here, oh, Robert, Robert Green didn't play in any more games for England in this World Cup. He was replaced by David James for the remainder of the group stage and the, the knockout game against Germany. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there for... So the, his last act was the big save uh, that, we, that we're going to talk about in the second half. Yeah. Seems like a top gent, really. <laughs> Poor guy. England scrambled to respond to the goal. I mean, they had a couple of half chances before the half, but couldn't couldn't get it going. And as the players head down the tunnel, the commentator from England says, calm yourselves down, England. England still has a better chance of winning this match than losing it. And um, that was the half. Ledley King comes off for Jamie Carragher in the back. Not sure what that was about. So Ledley King always Carragher. had health issues. Uh, he was like... Sort of uh, always considered England's best center back, but he he was playing for Tottenham Spurs at the time, and like the man couldn't train. He couldn't even train soccer. Like they, he'd play his game on the weekend, and then they would the next the entire next week would be devoted to like getting his knees back into playable condition. I don't know if it was like no cartilage or something like that, where that was it. He had this total regimen to just play a game, work to get ready for the next game a week later. So I don't know if if he was running into minutes restrictions or what. Um, but anyway, just a, a Ledley King anecdote from 2010. Okay, that's good to know. In the in the 47th minute, so we'll get right into the second half. In the 47th minute, there's a yellow card for Jay Demerit for hand of godding it on a clearance. Well, it's not a clearance. It was kind of a ball over the top to prevent Rooney from getting in behind. The the World Feet commentator, who was you know fantastic flying solo, I thought mentioned that uh, Demerit had some eye problems or something. I don't know what type of therapy he was doing, but sometimes his vision would be like intermittent. And how oh, is he playing soccer? Uh, like, like, like we had a we had a center back who can't see, and I'm just <laughs> trying to figure out the the mechanics here, the the mechanism of how he was playing soccer without being able to see. Well, it was like a, it was like a scratch. He got it was, this was a big deal because uh, there were worries. I mean, it happened right before the World Cup. Or, or like that season, uh, 29, 20, 2010. So he got this scratch on his eye. And so this was after his heroics in South Africa in the Confederations Cup where he kind of emerged and became the guy. I don't think he was going to be the guy until the Confederations Cup to start for us in the World Cup. And once he became that guy, uh, you know, it was, it was very nervous going through this process following along his recovery from whatever the surgery was for his scratched eyeball. Uh, because yeah, we, we, Gooch had done his Achilles later on in the, in the fall of 2009. So, uh, you know, we were going to lose both of our sort of center back towers, uh, going into the world cup, which I think everyone in 22 can sort of start relating to now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, he thought he did okay. Didn't you guys think Demerit was okay, despite being blind? Uh, so I thought he was the worst of the two, to me. Yes. For me with him, the 
I just have the image of him flipping over the the huddle, and that's pretty much the only association I have with Jay Demerit. Following the Algeria goal, you're talking about right. Donovan's Algeria goal, and there comes yeah. Demerit. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he's he's not ambitious. He's not an ambitious center back. He's he's literally just there to do a job, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, so he he did what? He flipped over a huddle. That's <laughs> in the. In the uh, the celebration after Donovan's goal against Algeria to send See, us through. Like a somersault type Demerit thing. came flying up 65 yards from his center back position where, where the, their, the dog pile had already been established. And, and it was there for Demerit to jump over Walter Payton style uh, over the entire sea of bodies. See, the, 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 that's clear death perception issues. <laughs> <laughs> no, he nailed it. He he can nailed see, it. dog. That man cannot see. <laughs> <laughs> all right he's a legend for Aaron that Lennon, Aaron Lennon uh, roasts Bocanegra on the right and cuts it back just beyond the outstretched foot of Wayne Rooney shortly after uh, after this hand of godding moment uh, then a dipping driven ball into the box from Glenn Johnson on the right can't find a head then Rooney gets in on goal from a long ball to John Terry and forces a goal line clearance from Bocanegra but apparently you know Heskey was deemed offside and challenging for the ball that that ended up with Rooney, um, so that so that was called off anyway. Greg, I see you have some uh, some screenshots <laughs> in here, which means you have some points to make. This so this just shows like how how uh, vulnerable our four four two was on all of these crosses that England have. I'm not a big proponent of crossing, uh, but crossing was definitely the thing in 2010. Um, and the thing is, on on all of these England crosses, England are in. Uh, excellent position to capitalize on these crosses our 442 the assignments in our 442 were just getting blown left and right so on every single cross like i've got a screenshot of like the wide open england player with a six yard radius around them for england to have put the ball um and, and the english player who's crossing under very little or no pressure uh so this isn't like oh well yeah but who can find that when they're you know when they're about to get destroyed by Steve Trundle. No, like they are, they're there. They can pick their head up and they just, they just happen to miss on, on these services. So England never gets the clear cut chance that would make it, this game seem exciting, <laughs> but they were always like right on the edge of that is, is kind of how I'd say it. So if you think about like the danger in this game, this 15 minute stretch for England to start the second half, they were constantly like right there to be dangerous. And the U S we're doing like nothing whatsoever. So that's kind of how I see it as uh, England totally in control of this match. Uh, and it's kind of a contrast even to the 2002 recap we did with Mexico. Mexico were never, never even looked like they were about to be dangerous. England were like right there. Danger was there and they, England just didn't seize on it. I will say all these crosses are coming from the, um, from our left side. So, you know, yes, yeah, so that's spoken Niger side. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you just see Bradley and Rico are not like stacking up on our, on our center backs to like help protect that space right in front of the goal. The space in front of the goal is where we are most stretched out, <laughs> ironically. Okay. 50 se- 52nd minute, uh, Lennon plays Heskey in after Onyewu races forward to win an aerial duel in the center. It just so happens he won it straight to Lennon and um, he was running in the wrong direction at that point and Heskey is racing in the other direction in on goal. Uh, Lennon plays a good pass to Heskey down the channel. Heskey runs onto it and tries from the edge of the box and hits it well, but right at Howard. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So this is huge, right? I mean, this is a massive chance, probably the best chance of the entire game. If, if you're sort of yeah. just grading chances. Uh, and this is where uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a rant. I do rant sometimes or a, a whole bit, a spiel, because this is where the way we watch games now is so different than how we would watch games in 2010. Right. We, we didn't have access to these streams. There wasn't like, uh, you know, the, the Twitter discourse where people could post a clip. I think, Bells, you were like one of the first people to start posting clip threads on Twitter of soccer highlights. Um, and you were doing it of, you know, 16 year old kids playing for young PSV. Uh, Jonathan Gonzalez is the first <laughs> clippy. But that kind of thing didn't, that kind of thing just didn't exist, right? You saw it once on the live broadcast, you would see the replay, and then that was it. You would never see it again. No one was zapruitering all of these chances. So when Heskey gets in on goal here and misses the shot, uh, that's it. The chance is over, it goes away, and you, it sort of starts to instantly fade from your memory. And what also fades from your memory, is Oguchi and Yewu like half-heartedly running into a ball with his pelvis directly to an English player and then immediately getting beat in the space behind him. Um, and that's how I think that's a big, another big part of like how we compare current day players to these legends of the past, because we kind of lionize uh, the players who had a hand in our, in our big successes. But I'm watching this and I'm like, man, Heskey, you know, Gooch does this play and Heskey is in on goal. If any of our current center backs that we're all like destroying each other over not wanting to start in the World Cup has a play like this in Qatar, like they will be savaged. Fair. Ah, uh, awesome. maybe. Like, I, I mean, Gucci is yes. just unlucky yes, that his. Yeah, there will be defenders. If if one of our center backs does this, then then his side of the proxy war will defend him, I think. But there because, will be a Because it was, a, it was a little that's unlucky. The, it that's went. the key. What's that? The, that's the key. The key is there will be a proxy war, and that's the change. That's, that's all I'm saying. It's going to work that way for any of these disputed positions. Uh, dude, like, I went, so I started, as I was thinking about this from this play, I started going back through the other, like, World Cup games. And so I'm going back through the 2006 World Cup. And, like, Gooch is involved in a lot of the... The, the goals that we give up in the 2006 World Cup in a way that, again, if we were to do that for our current pool and break down that play and be like, man, Gooch just got caught in no man's land here. Like terrible angle taken on this Czech Republic third goal in the group stage game in 2006. Uh, you know, the lunging in on someone against Ghana to give up the penalty in 2006. And, and so I'm like, if any of our center backs have the entire World Cup that Gooch had in 2006, like they will be destroyed. And, and I don't even mean this as like a huge criticism of Gooch, but, but he's a legend. And I'm just looking at this like that highlight reel, uh, if it exists in this tournament for any of our players, they will be, they will be absolutely uh, dismembered on Twitter. Uh, if either enough. goalkeeper, Stefan or, or uh, Turner has the World Cups that Keller had in 98 or 2006, like done. <laughs> no, that's facts. <laughs> for sure because i because i'm on them you know what I'm, saying? I'm, I'm on them and, and keller's and a I, hero keller's an american soccer hero but if if we repeat his world cup performance if either of the keepers repeats that performance i mean they'll be obliterated fair enough <laughs> uh, well but uh i've been meaning to make this point for a while but uh well and and this is the chance where i can i can make it uh like, like tim howard he did his thing he did his thing, and, and and we are, and for me, you know, he was the the legend of legends amongst the goalkeepers. 
um, because of, you know, the, the Belgium heroics. Uh, so actually, I think I remember that game too. I remember that game, but, but you're saying he was you know, good in this game. He was good in this. He game. was good. He was good in this game. And I was wondering like, cause at first when you see that shot and how he just caught it straight up, I was like, damn, cause, cause you know, Heskey caught it pretty well. Yeah. I and so. Tim's coming out and he caught it like cleanly, like chance over. And I was like, wow. But then you, you see the replay and Heskey just hits it in the one pocket. <laughs> like like the pocket that Tim Howard had created to catch a ball. Yeah. <laughs> his pouch, and, like yeah. his kangaroo pouch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Heskey hit it right there. Right there. So, yeah, the, the catch is a little less impressive. But the, but the save, you know, I mean, he still gets credit for the save. But the, but the catch, the, the clean catch is a little less impressive. Well, and, and I'll just thought, I'll throw this out there too. Tim, the remainder of Tim Howard's 2010 World Cup, also not actually that great. <laughs> like, like the Slovenia goal, I'll give him a pass on the first one, that, the one from distance, because again, Jabulani, I, I get it. But the second Slovenia goal uh, like is kind of a breakaway situation because they carve up our, our four-man spine, two center mids, two center backs. Um, and so I'm not saying Tim Howard definitely needs to save this little breakaway, but like uh, the mechanics of his approach here uh, in the Slovenia goal. But yeah, Howard in that second Slovenia goal like comes out and it like slides like literally the wrong direction. Like his hands are on the wrong side of his body for what a goalkeeper should have been doing, even given like 2010 standard techniques. So this still just all goes back to like some guys are really going to take it hard in, in 2022 for some performances that will not actually be that much worse than what we have seen from our legends in prior tournaments. That's a good point. It's a good point. And, and frankly, I don't know how many of them spend that much time on Twitter watching these debates. So maybe they're not even going to notice. And if I a hope. bunch of people are arguing about, yeah. All right. In the 59th minute, uh, Carragher, 14 minutes into his appearance, gets a yellow for cleaning out Finley. It could have been a red. I don't, I don't know. I have a screenshot of it. He, he catches him pretty high with his boots, with the bottom of his straight boot. leg. Yes. Coming in straight yeah. legged. VAR can overturn that for sure. Yeah, I think so. Right after that, Gerard gets a yellow for putting a stud into Dempsey's leg. He did touch the ball first, but, um, you know, also a very yeah. high boot. Vince, this might be a bit of a precursor to maybe another event you'd remember from 2010. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember Xabi Alonso getting, getting the Nigel de Jong treatment? No. Okay. No, definitely not. It might be the most famous famous moment of the 2010 World Cup. So 2006, we had the Zidane headbutt. 2010, we have De Jong going full kung fu uh, with the bottom of his boot into Xabi Alonso's heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, re- I remember the the headbutt for sure. I remember where I was when I saw the headbutt. Um, you gotta you gotta check out the heart kick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Gotta uh, check it out. I have to in, check that out. Yeah, and with VAR, you, you should not do a heart kick. I don't think any of our guys should should do a heart kick. Getting harder and harder to get away with them. <laughs> well, <laughs> the uh, I mean, gotten, it, so. De Young doesn't even get near the ball with his the bottom of his boot. <laughs> not Takes even the yellow close. card for it. Which, even if he had, it wouldn't have mattered because you're just not allowed to do it. <laughs> this is a this is a Dutch man, right? <laughs> yes, yes. This yeah, is okay. a dude who wrecks Du Holden's career. Um, oh, right, right. We've heard about this. I've yeah. heard about this for sure. He, he wrecked the World Cup for Stu Holden. Then Johnny Evans proceeds to wreck Stu Holden's, the remainder of Stu Holden's career. Yeah, poor Stu. Just re- real quick, I would just like to say that I was really impressed by Gerard. He's a good, I mean, 
He's apparently a, a legend in England. I've heard a lot about him. Um, but out of out of all the legends for England that were on the pitch, I thought I thought he was the most impressive. Because, because man, I like I still be seeing Lampard and Gerrard uh, debates till this day on the timeline, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm I'm putting I'm putting my I'm putting my stock in Stevie G. I think my, I'm okay. so much influenced by I just like his face better than Lampard's <laughs> face, and that's the only reason I prefer him. I, otherwise, I, I could you know. Go Take one or the other. Pull, pull up the like Steve Steve Gerrard's top ten goals on YouTube. It's like one of the most fun things to watch. the The dude scored a lot of screamers. Um, sixty third minute, the game opens up for a couple of minute lamp, minutes. Lampard chops Bradley twenty two yards from goal and hits a left footed blast. I mean, chops him as in cuts him, and it's palmed over by Howard, but it's a good save. Glenn Johnson gets a chance on the corner when it finds him at the back post. He settles it with his right foot and then snatches at it with his left, sending it well wide. Um, immediately, we get the biggest chance of the game for the U.S., and it's all Josie Altador. Boca Negra and Donovan mug Aaron Lennon at midfield on the left sideline. Donovan races onto it and zips a pass to Altador, who's kind of flashing across the face of Jamie Carragher in to out, touches the ball around him, and then just unmans Jamie Carragher for 30 yards, shrugging him off and shaking free in the box, coming at the goal from a tight angle. He hits it with his right foot, but kind of drove it into the ground. Um, I, you could say he scuffed it, but it still surprised Green by doing that. And Green had to sort of parry it off the post with both hands and it, and it uh, ricocheted up into the air. So a, a good save from Green, as he noted in the, later in the interview with, uh, with, with Dempsey um, and Carragher acknowledged but yeah, could have been two one. Yeah, yeah. I think they, I think they played the clip of Jamie Carragher getting done like this on the on the CBS broadcast yeah. too. They, Nobody should have to watch yeah. that. Nobody should have to watch themselves like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 was that was definitely crazy. That was yeah, uh, and and you know what? Another thing I remember is some type of like ESPN uh, feature that they did on like Josie Altador. Where they went to like a a barber shop. It was like a black. It was like a black barber, and he was some. He was from somewhere where football is important. Like he wasn't like. He hadn't been in America for generations and generations. He wasn't from Central was, Iowa. Is what you're saying? Right, right, right. <laughs> and um, he was talking about Josie, and he was like, you know, I'm just so happy we finally have like a footballer. I'm, I'm just, I'm just bringing this up. Like these are, these are random. Uh, these are all the U.S. memories I had pre 2018. I think I've emptied the tank now. But yes, well, I, I don't know when that was, but after I saw that, Josie was also a player I paid attention to. And um, yeah, this was, this was one of those moments where you know he brings the, he brings the real Hooper out. <laughs> it was, and it was, it was again like probably our only real, real dangerous moment of the entire match, right? And it kind of came out of nothing. It's not like we, you know, expertly choreographed the sequence to, to open a, a player up. Um, it was just Josie totally outworking and out, outdoing uh, England center back and getting himself, uh, you know, totally free in the box. He wasn't even disturbed by Jamie Carragher as he's taking his shot. Uh, so that's yeah. a credit to how badly he beat Carragher here. But this is it. This is this is the moment. So, you know, when you think back about this game and you feel like we maybe played England uh, even, it's because England sort of had the two chances, the Heskey 
chance we just talked about in their actual goal and no other clear cut chances. And then you remember this Altidore goal, but this was our even only even like danger adjacent moment in England. We're sort of living in our box for 30 minutes to start the second half. None of this matters. I'm just, I'm just saying it as a way of like, we were, I think you're overstating it a little bit, but all right, right. go on, go on. Uh, I mean, who, who had the ball? We didn't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But outside of the Heskey chance, I mean, I, I know we have a bunch, I know we have a bunch of instances where they could have crossed it to somebody who was open in the box. I get that. But like outside of the Heskey chance, I don't know. There wasn't anything like that. I think you're about to, I think you're about to list off a few of them right here, but no, this this was awesome. This was a great moment for Josie. Uh, And um, yeah, this, this was enough. Again, it's enough to give American fans like a foothold (laughs) psychologically in this game is, is not just the Robert Green moment. Fair. Yeah. Right. right. And I I think the outdoor miss in the first half is pretty notable, but yeah, let me get into these, these, um, these other things. The game really open real quick. Bill. Yes. Um, first of all, Jamie Carragher be doing a lot of talking on CBS for a person that got done like this. Number one. In a World Cup. Yeah, in a World Cup. And number two, uh, the ball came back to Josie like probably like 30 seconds after. And he's like, post, <laughs> he's like posted up on Jamie Carragher. And you can see Jamie like he's, he's in, you know, contact with Jamie. And when Josie gets the ball, Jamie just backs up. He flees. He's, yeah, he's like, he's like, all right, you, you got it, man. I'm not trying to get done like this again. <laughs> he and, starts running uh, back to his goal. That, that's all. Go, go ahead, Bells. That was part of this like back and f- period of back and forth that happened right after uh, that chance for Altidore. Bocanegra has to do make sort of a heroic challenge in our half to stave off a long ball to Rooney. Altidore gets that ball in the half turn that you just mentioned and then misplaces a through ball, though I thought it was a good idea. And then Lennon crosses it into our box and it's cut out by Demerit. In the 71st minute, there's a lovely Gerard ball from wide right. It's just a tad too high for Rooney to get over it and his header goes wide. 90 seconds after that, uh, Findlay almost breaks through on a good entry pass from Donovan. And a quality first touch to cancel John Terry, but his second, second touch isn't good enough, and he gets run down and cut off by Carragher, who somewhat redeems himself, I think. As, as he just didn't redeem himself against Altador. And then um, right after that, Rooney takes a big hit from 25 yards, just wide of the post. Now, this was, a, this, was a, this was really close to being a goal, but just because Wayne Rooney was you know, a world-class player and a seemingly innocuous moment turns into like him hitting it just wide of the post. Yeah, that's all Jabulani right there. And you could see uh, as he's hitting it, right after it leaves his foot, you can see actually see Howard take a step towards his near post and then frantically be like, oh no, this is actually going to uh, arrow into the far post side netting. So he's, he's scrambling to get there. But that, again, I'm not even putting that one on Howard because that's just the ball. Yeah. And, okay. and I, I don't know what point it is during the game, but somebody kicks a ball towards the goal and they replay it. And you can see the ball like spinning and, and, and dipping like very much like a beach ball, like a beach ball would, you know, how it does mm. that spin and spin and dip type of type of deal. It, it just seems very difficult to deal with. Buttle comes on for Findlay in the 76th minute. Uh, Crouch comes, Peter Crouch, who is so tall, comes on in the 79th minute. I guess you all know how tall he is for Heskey. There was a chance for England on a give and go between Lampard and Lennon that Onyewu does well to slide and sort of cut out. And um, in the 87th minute, Onyewu 
does another one of those rambles from back from from the back just running forward and making wild challenges and this time it works and uh (laughs) i was gonna say because that last one that you just described was Anyewu coming way forward and sliding himself out of the play and that's how england got their four on two that ended with that ball towards lampard so uh i'm just i'm just throwing that out there again that uh our our heroes um weren't impervious to uh to some mistakes fair enough Let's see, what else? Donovan's orchestrating possession in England's half in the last few minutes of the match. Flashes a speculative shot over from 25. Then he helps get it wide to Stu Holden in space on the right, who has a chance to play a dangerous ball into the box and wax it off a defender. So nothing occurs. The two sides just sort of settle into a draw and stoppage time, and that's it. 1-1. It was a game that was played. Uh, kind of notably, we Bob Bradley used one sub, Buttle for Finley, like for like, um, and then used Holden. I kind of thought of it as a time-wasting sub, but um, I mean, he, he had seven or eight minutes, so it wasn't pure time-wasting. And then Herc Gomez was about to come on when the full-time whistle blew, um, but but he kind of went away from his attacking shift in the second half, and I kind of assumed that was because he saw it as uh, worthwhile to just collect the point to manage the group stage. And the commentator loved uh, the name Hercules Gomez. <laughs> loved it. <laughs> Everyone does. Everyone should. I feel like we've we've we, we've begun to take it for granted as we've as we've had him in our lives for longer and longer. But yeah, we should pause every time we hear it and say that is a tremendous name. I have been totally taking it for granted. Me I too. Completely forgot how I'm going to stop. That is. Stop taking it for granted right now. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> any closing thoughts what does this game teach us about the game that that's coming on black friday anything probably not but could you could somebody make something up <laughs> well I'll, uh, I'll say i'll just kind of repeat the same thing if our attack looks like the u.s's attack in this game uh we'll we'll consider it like japan level quality you know what i mean like the the japan friendly i i, I you can push back if you want, Bells, but we, com- we actually created so little in the way of chances in this game outside of Altidore's, uh, you know, one moment of absolute brilliance um, that we, if we did this against Wales, we'd be like, man, we did not create. We couldn't do anything. Uh, the system's a sham. <laughs> like, what, what, did, what did we just spend the last three years doing? Well, it's, it's, not, it's not apples to apples how, we, how we're going to look against Wales versus how we looked in this game. Sure. What about how we, look, how we look against England, if we look like this against England? I just I mean, I, Finley, didn't, Finley didn't have the quality to like, consistently do anything with the ball. And frankly, Altidore for most of the game didn't either. No, it was, it was very uh, much like Donovan and Dempsey were, the, were sort of our clear talent. And, and that was it. They didn't have anyone really helping around them. And they certainly weren't capable of, in this game, of like, opening up England's back four by themselves. Right. Hmm. That's how it's, I, I don't know. You got any, anyone else think, uh, think that we would be in the England game this, this November, if that was our level of attacking performance, would, would we feel like it's England? What do you do? Or would you be like, Oh man, that was, that was brutal. And I'm going to definitely be on the brutal side. <laughs> definitely going to be on the brutal side, but I just, I just find this all very interesting that, you know, you just, I would can't, be, you can't throw yeah. some people into a four, four, two, and all of a sudden, the attacking woes are fixed. It's just very interesting. Indeed, it is interesting. <laughs> Waki, any closing thoughts from you? I will accept another draw against England <laughs> if, that's, <laughs> if that's on offer. I would just take it. Sight unseen. 
yeah. performance. Well, obviously, performance aside. Yeah. Same here. All right. Well, I think we're going to put, put this one in the public feed. So um, if you want to hear the other five, is that, have we done five or just four? Just tell everyone um, we've done five. Yeah. If you want to hear the other 500 historic recaps we've done, <laughs> sign up for the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You also get the Monday review, which is, uh, which is great, in my opinion, every week delivered directly to your phone. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, go USA. We'll see ya.